day. Um, and as we continue in this journey through the chronological life of Christ, I hope it's been enjoyable for you. Uh, we have all of our small groups going on this week. Uh, the things, a couple things to note is next Sunday after church will be our congregational meeting. So on your communication card, you have where you can check that you're planning on coming so we could get an RSVP for how many sandwiches and stuff to get. Uh, so let us know if you plan on staying for lunch in the congregational meeting following worship. Uh, that'll be next Sunday. And then on uh, March 29th, we'll be having a Messiah and the Passover presentation. Uh, so if you're, if you're wanting, this is an event that you can invite people to. We'll have a Messianic Jew that will come and deliver the presentation. So that would be a Jew who believes Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, and he'll walk us through all the elements of, of the uh, Passover meal and how those elements find fulfillment in Jesus, how they all pointed forward to and find fulfillment in him. So, so that is something uh, we'll do. When we get closer to time, we'll also be doing an RSVP for that. So we kind of have an idea. We'll have some light refreshments afterwards in case people want to linger and ask questions or discuss uh, so, uh, but that is certainly something that people from other churches might have interest in. Uh, you might have neighbors who have interest in it. So feel free to invite. It'd be nice if we could uh, pack the house. You know, it'd be nice if we did that on a Sunday too, wouldn't it? We should have a pack the house Sunday, right? Uh, so, uh, but uh, feel free to invite people and, and uh, we'll, let's just make sure that we get kind of an idea for numbers for coming so we can plan for refreshments and stuff afterwards. So with that, let's uh, pray, and we'll have some worship. Oh, glorious Father, we just thank you for all that you've done for us through your Son, Jesus, and how, uh, as we look at him, we see the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. We see how all your promises come to fruition. Uh, we see, oh, Lord, that uh, all your promises are, are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so we just give you praise and thanks for who he is and all that he's done for us. And as we gather here today, we do just ask that you would help us to to pause our, the, the busyness in our minds, uh, oftentimes even when we're sitting in one place, our minds are somewhere else. We just pray that you would help us to, to pause from all the other activities and the busyness and uh, events that might be going on in life around us and to focus ourselves upon you and that we would just quiet ourselves, that we might give our devotion, that we might give our worship, uh, but also that we might take time just to, to listen and that we might uh, hear your voice, and that we might learn, and that we might uh, grow, uh, and that we might just hear what you would have to say to us as we take the time to spend with you. As we come in the name of Jesus, who's taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We're going to open this morning with Psalm 89. Uh, I will sing about the Lord's faithful love forever. I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations with my mouth. For I will declare faithful love is built up forever. You establish your faithfulness in the heavens. The Lord said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn an oath to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build up your throne for all generations. We are here because of that offspring, and we are so thankful. Would you please stand and sing with us, Good, Good Father. 
heavens praise your wonders your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones we continue on with our praise with it is well with my soul
choose to worship. There are a lot of things going on right now, and in the midst of it all, we choose to worship. Oh, 
This morning we are reading from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. I'm reading from the ESV. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. May the Lord's blessing be on the reading and Pastor Dan's message. You know, all, uh, all you have to do is look around and you, you quickly discern that, uh, you know, we all look differently, don't we? People uh, look have a wide diversity of different ways that we look. And likewise, it doesn't take us long to learn that people have a wide diversity in how they operate. Right? Not only do we look differently, we have different kinds of personalities. And, and we come packaged with all sorts of little quirks and traits and idiosyncrasies and whatever that kind of makes us unique and, and different from one another. One another. And I remember uh, one funeral that I had years and years ago. It was for an individual that I, I did not know uh, before the funeral. I'm getting together with the family to, to talk about memories so that they could tell me a little bit about who this person was. And I prefaced it with something simple like, you know, uh, you know I'm the only one that's going to be there that doesn't know who they were. Right? So I just want you to tell me who they were so that I can get a picture in my mind and I can develop service. And I say, we don't want to make them better than they were. We don't want to make them worse than they were. We want to remember them as they were. Right? So something like that effect. And, and the other thing that I always share when I sit down with the families, I say, don't worry about filters. So I can filter, and you'll be surprised by the things that might find themselves in a service that are very appropriate as they're used, right? So, so I kind of preface it with the family like that, and uh, so I say, don't worry about filtering. I can do that, and, and as you think of, you know, fill in the blank, what's the first thing? Stubborn as hell. I mean, they didn't miss a beat, right? And, and I thought instantly, that's part of the service, right? Because that's the person that everybody's going to know. Now, some of you, you've done a, a personality test at some point in your, uh, in your journey. Uh, there are a variety of personality tests that are out there, and the goal of a personality test, of course, is to understand yourself better, right, so that you know your strengths and that you know your weaknesses. And it's also so that you can better relate to others in some way. You know? So for many of you, you might have done one as part of a, a work team building exercise, right? Uh, so that you could better understand the coworkers that you work with, or perhaps maybe for some it's a matter of uh, better understanding your spouse. Because different personalities can be worlds apart. So, for example, you have some personalities that are fastidious housekeepers. I heard a chuckle. Did anybody else hear a chuckle? And then you have others that are more like, you know what, I live here, right? You have a... a you have people that are like, uh, I'm going to keep everything, and you have others who throw it all away. You have people who save money. You have people who like to spend money. You have people who wake up and say, good morning, Lord. And those who wake up and say, good Lord, it's morning. 
right? You have uh, people that are driven, and you have others who are laid back. You have some people that erupt like Mount St. Helens, and you know when you're in trouble. And you have other people who, well, they bottle everything up, and you're in trouble. You just don't know it yet. That's usually my case. I'm usually in trouble before I know it. And, you know, with God's tremendous sense of humor, generally these people marry each other. Have you ever, I mean, have you noticed that? You, you, you've probably heard the saying, opposites attract. You ever think that maybe the possibility that opposites attract because it's designed that way? So that one person's strengths can complement and help another person's weaknesses? Hmm. Maybe there's a design in that. Just saying, just a possibility. Now, as we engage with today's text, we have to be careful about simply dividing it into two different personality types, right? So we have to be careful about, well, Mary is quiet and reflective and contemplative and spiritual. And Martha, well, Martha is well-driven, a multitasker, busybody, pragmatic, type A personality, got to get things done, right? We have to be careful about just separating it and pulling it out of context that way. You know, who hasn't heard an application of this passage that goes something like, well, don't be like Martha, be like Mary, right? Or, or God doesn't want workers, God wants worshipers. And we create kind of a, a false dichotomy, and we create this comparison between Martha and Mary as one is being better than the other. And incidentally, for any trivia fanatics, anybody like Bible trivia out there? I'm not even going to look that way, right? Anybody like Bible trivia? So in John chapter 11, when Jesus is coming to the, to the tomb for Lazarus, uh, which of the sisters was the first one to come out and greet Jesus? It was Martha. Isn't that interesting? So in today's text, we have Mary who's sitting at his feet, and, and later we're going to see Martha's the first one who comes out. Now, just as, just as a way of saying we can't just pick this out of, of Scripture and, and make one thing from it, and the parable of the two sons in the vineyard in Matthew 21, 28 through 32. <laughs> you guys didn't know he's coming together for Bible trivia today, did you, right? But in the parable of the two sons in the vineyard, which son receives praise? The one who does the will of the Father, right? Initially, he said no, right? But the one who does the will of the Father is the one who receives praise. Now, in the parable of the talents, right? Uh, what's the focus of the parable of the talents? Putting to, what's that? Do something with them, right? Uh, putting productive use to the talents that God has given you. The point that I want to make is, you know, doing for Jesus doesn't replace sitting at his feet, right? But neither does sitting at his feet exempt us from doing for Jesus. We, we need to understand this is one passage of Scripture in the midst of other passages of Scripture, and we need the whole of counsel of God's Word, not just parts that better fit our personalities. Because, you know, what we tend to do is we're like, well, this, this part fits my personality, so I'm going to really focus on this, and I'm going to ignore those parts that don't fit with my personality. And the truth is that some of us need to really focus on how can we grow in our worship, how can we grow in our devotion? How can we grow in sitting at his feet? And there are others that might just they might be able to spend all their day and all their time in worship and sitting at his feet, and they need to learn that it's also about what we do. It's also about how we work, right? So, so depending on who we are, we might be challenged in different ways by different texts. Now, as we unpack these few verses, we have to be careful about lifting them out of the context because even as we look at their context we see that they're in a unit of scripture on discipleship so as you consider the chapter as a whole mission is vital 
right? That's verses 1 through 24. He sends 72 out into the mission field. Loving your neighbor is critical. That's verses 25 through 37. Now, incidentally, both of those passages focus on what? Doing. Right? Both of those passages focus on doing for the Lord, but neither replace a heart for the Lord. And that's where the chapter kind of culminates in verses 38 through 42, right? Because doing for the Lord doesn't replace a heart for the Lord. And it's your devotion to the Lord, the one thing that's necessary, that will be the one thing that enables you to love that difficult neighbor. And it will be the one thing that keeps you engaged and joyful rather than begrudging labor. So what I do for Jesus, it should flow out of my relationship to him. And we might even get more specific than that. It should flow out of my fellowship with him. And you might be like, well, why do you make that distinction, right? You can have a relationship without having close fellowship. You know, I have a, I have a relationship with my oldest brother in Kentucky, you know? And, and we get along fine, and we, we talk just fine. But, you know, uh, we talk like on birthdays and holidays. You know, uh, there's a difference between relationship and close fellowship, isn't there? People that you interact with frequently and regularly. And, and uh, you know, mission is vital. Loving your neighbor is critical. But if your fellowship with the Lord is lacking, then you're going to become critical of your neighbor. And your engagement in the mission is going to lose its vitality because it's going to become a burden rather than a joy. But the closer you are with Jesus, the easier you will find to also be in his service. So this passage is, it's not about, uh, it's about where we begin more so than where we end, right? Do we begin with everything that needs to be done and that we seek to fit Jesus into that to-do list, into our busy lives? Or do we begin by sitting at his feet and inviting him not only to direct the lives that we lead, but seeking to do life with him and centered around him. Because there's a difference between fitting Jesus into my life wherever I can, whenever I can, however I can, and sitting at his feet so that I can learn from him and live life with him. So as we think about this text on Mary and Martha, at the heart of it is how do we relate to Jesus? And Martha and Mary, they're both receptive to Jesus. They're both friends of Jesus. Uh, this is not contrast between unbelievers with believers, but it's more about how we as believers are to relate to Jesus in an ongoing way. And at this point, as we, what we see, in, in, uh, and I say at this point, right, because we might react one way on one occasion and another way on a different occasion, right? So at this point, Martha welcomes Jesus into her house, and, he's, and she's fitting him into her schedule, but her focus is not on Jesus, but everything that needs to be done. So verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, first, I'm going to start off with the very first part, right? Now, as they, as they went on their way, who are the they? Minimally, it would seem that the 12 would likely be with Jesus. They're traveling. They're engaged in ministry. They pause for some hospitality on their way. Now, from John chapter 11, we know that Mary and Martha, they live in Bethany. But Luke doesn't bother us with that detail, nor does Luke get distracted with how many the they may be, right? Is it just the 12 or is it more than just the 12? Nor does he get distracted with the menu that's served up, nor with how much advance notice Martha may or may not have been given, because all of those details are peripheral. 
They don't really matter. How they and now we relate to Jesus, that's what matters, and that's the focus, right? Is how are we going to relate to Jesus? Because what we do for him, uh, well, will what we do for him take precedence over time with him? Or will we prioritize spending time with him to prepare us and grow us for what we are to do for him and with him? So Martha, Martha's kind of pictured as the older, right? It's her house. She's feeling the weight of her obligation and her duties. Who knows what else was going on in her life at the time because, you know, there's always something to do. There's always something to take care of. There's always responsibilities to tend to. There's always fires to put out. There's always bills to pay, right? You know how the list goes. And, and what you'll notice is that opportunities for ministry, or in this case, hospitality, or we could even include opportunities for worship and devotion, you know, they don't always come at convenient times, do they? In fact, quite the opposite. Oftentimes, those opportunities will come at very inconvenient times. Now, Jesus has come to town, and who knows for how long he's going to be there. And Martha knows the right thing to do, right? Because hospitality, that's a cultural value, and she's going to do everything she can to make it right. She wants everything to be perfect. And in the midst of whatever other responsibilities that might have been on her plate, Jesus has just become one more thing to add in. Hospitality for him as well as for his entourage, right? Now, uh, Louise Day wrote, and I quote, uh, One day I taught my young class the story of Jesus uh, visiting Mary and Martha. I carefully explained how Martha had hurried to clean the house and cook a special meal. Then I paused and asked, What would you do if Jesus was going to visit your house today? And one little girl quickly responded, Well, I'd put a Bible on the table. Right? And that's like, well, I want to make sure things look like what they're not really are, you know. Uh, but I imagine when you think about Martha, think about what all Martha's doing, you know, sweeping the floors, cleaning out the cobwebs, right, making sure everything's spick and span. We want to make sure, well, I wonder what his favorite menu item is. You know, we got to have the appetizer, the meal, the dessert. we got to go all on board, right? We want to make sure he feels perfectly welcome and that everything just goes perfect, right? And And I imagine that for her... Uh, preparing for Jesus to visit was a lot more than just putting a Bible on the table. As Craig Evans points out, and I quote, she's probably preparing a special meal for Jesus and his disciples. In late antiquity, the preparation for a large banquet would take all day. This is not a, a quick preparation. Jesus, table of 13, your table is ready. Now, think about that. Think about all that you do just for a visitor or two, not to mention 13. And she has this extensive to-do list fed by expectations of her culture and fed by expectations that she's placed on herself. Now, one of the things that I want you to see as we go through this text is the expectations the culture puts on her and the expectations that she puts on herself are not necessarily the expectations that Jesus has of her. And if we're not careful, we can kind of slip into the same kind of mentality, right? Here's my life. Here's what I need to get done. How can I fit Jesus in? Well, I might slip in a little bit of church. That is, you know, when church doesn't conflict with something else. I might, I might join a faith-to-life group, you know, when, when I don't have something else going on at the time. Or, you know, perhaps I'll add in a daily devotional, as long as that devotional doesn't take too long and I'm not too busy at the time. 
Now, I'm not saying that you should never miss church, nor am I saying that you need to be part of every faith-to-life group available, nor am I saying that you're a terrible person if you don't have daily devotions. What I'm asking is, is Jesus more something that you're just fitting into your life, or is there something more to it? Is he just one more thing to do on the to-do list that you've kind of lost your reason for why you're doing it in the first place, or is there something more to it? You know, Martha is so busy doing for Jesus that she's distracted from Jesus. So verse 40 goes on, Martha was distracted with much serving. Uh, now, Strong defines the term for distracted as meaning, quote, to draw away. Uh, BDAG, which is a Greek lexicon, uh, i.e. a dictionary, defines it as to be pulled away from a reference point, to have one's attention directed from one thing to another. Now, it's not that Martha doesn't love Jesus. She welcomed Jesus into her home. But with everything that she's seeking to do for Jesus, she's been distracted. She's been drawn away from him. And all of her activity is precluding her from sitting at his feet, listening to him and actually learning from him. So she, in effect, she's fit Jesus into her schedule. And here's the question I want to ask you. She's fit Jesus into her schedule, and what that has that done for her? It's made her busier but has it made an impact on her life? Is it making an impact on her life? You know, what we can probably say is she's becoming a little bitter. Lord, don't you care? Wouldn't you tell her to help me, right? She's busier, but is he making an impact on her life? Now, ironically, Martha's drawn away from Jesus with everything she feels she needs to do for him. Oswald Chambers wrote, and I quote, Beware of anything that competes with loyalty to Jesus. The greatest competitor of devotion to Jesus is service for him. And we do have to guard against our devotion becoming for the work and the activity over the person. So we have Martha. She has her to-do list, which she's trying to fit Jesus in with everything else that needs to be done. While on the other hand, we have Mary who pulls away from everything else that needs to be done and she takes time to sit at his feet. Verse 39, and, she's, uh, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So Martha's seeking to fit Jesus into the extensive to-do list, or at least what she perceives to be needing to be done, right? And Mary has the audacity to stop doing and start sitting at Jesus' feet once he arrives. Now, there's always something that can be done, there's always more that can be done. For every item that you cross off your to-do list, you can probably add two in its place, right? And it's easy to justify more on your to-do list, especially when it's being done for Jesus. But the question we should ask ourselves, is it being done for Jesus? Or is it being done to meet the expectations of her culture and the expectations she has of herself? Now, most likely... Mary has helped Martha in preparation for Jesus' arrival. But once Jesus arrives, she elects not to simply fit Jesus into the to-do list, but to make him the priority over anything else that could be done. And let's just say, Martha, she's not a happy camper, right? Because culture and custom dictate that Mary be working with Martha, not sitting at Jesus' feet with the men. 
So despite being convinced that she's doing it all for Jesus, Martha's not finding joy in what she's doing for Jesus because it's drawn her away from what must come first, and that's devotion to Jesus. And you know, as I, as I kind of think about this text, you know, what, you know what Martha truly is? She's jealous of Mary. Because you know where Martha wants to be? Sitting at Jesus' feet. But the one thing she feels like she can't do is sit at his feet. Because culture dictates and because her expectations dictate that she make the most fabulous meal for this honored guest. Now the funny thing is, is in all the things that she's doing for Jesus, she turns around and she tells Jesus what to do. Anybody think that's the place of a disciple? That's what she does. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? So first we have a little bit of an accusation, right? Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And don't miss this next part. Tell her then to help me. Now, if you're serving with the wrong motives, you're going to carry the wrong attitudes into your serving. And that's what we're kind of seeing bleed through with Martha at this point. Lord, why are you allowing Mary to sit with you when, she, when you should be telling her to help me? Anyone picking up on what Martha's laying down? Because she's saying, if you cared for me, then you'd be telling her to help. As Edwards puts it, patience decreases as the pressure increases. And it's beginning to spill out. And Mark Moore comments on uh, the, the Greek term, help her. It's a word that means to do her fair share, right? And, and really, I mean, you think about it, that's kind of the Judeo-Christian work ethic, right? We have that idea, I, I just want everybody to do their fair share. And that's what Martha is griping to, to uh, Jesus about. Now, what did Martha never stop to ask or to consider? She never stops to ask what the culture expected of her, right? She knew that all too well. She never stopped to ask what expectations she was putting on herself. She's well-versed in everybody else's expectations. What she never does to stop to ask was, what is it that Jesus expects of me? She never stops to ask, what is it that Jesus wants? Do you ever think about the possibility that maybe Jesus would prefer, hey, you know, I'd rather have one less menu item and a little bit more time. Or maybe something that doesn't take as much time time as to demand so that we could actually spend some time catching up. She never stops to ask, what is it that Jesus wants? Because guess what? She never took time to sit at his feet. She never took time to ask, what is it that you expect? And before doing for Jesus, we should sit at his feet to listen and learn what it is that he would have us to do, what his expectations might be, how he would direct us. Now, when you think about sitting at his feet, you know, and you've probably already figured this out, but actually there's more to sitting at his feet than sitting at his feet, right? Because sitting at his feet was the posture of a disciple, right? It's the posture of a disciple who's seeking to listen to, to learn from, uh, a, post a posture of a disciple who's seeking to become like, right? How do you become more like Jesus? Well, it begins by sitting at his feet. And this posture reflects her zeal to learn from Jesus, and it's significant that Jesus encourages a woman to learn from him because Jewish teachers were generally opposed to this. So we have Mary in the posture of a disciple seeking to listen and learn. You know, our devotion to Jesus leads us to listen and learn with the goal of becoming more like him. That's what discipleship is all about. 
And if we don't take time to fellowship with him, to sit at his feet, right, then what will happen? We'll become weary in doing for him, maybe even bitter in doing for him. Who knows? We might even begin telling him how things should go and what things should be like. We have to be careful about slipping into prioritizing what we do for him over the relationship that we have with him. So verse 41 continues. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Martha, Martha. Now, this is not like when, when I would hear something like, Daniel, Neil, Jasmine. Martha's not in trouble. Not to say that I've ever been in trouble. <laughs> At least not this morning yet. <laughs> At least not that I know of yet. She's not in trouble, but the form of address, it does indicate a gentle, caring correction. That's another word for rebuke. It just sounds a little nicer than softer, doesn't it? It does have this gentle, caring correction. Martha. Martha. Because Martha's well-intentioned. Her intentions aren't in question, right? But she does need a shift in her priorities. So verse 42, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. You know, the challenge in life is not really about choosing good over bad, but the better over the good, and the best over the better, isn't it? There's always going to be things that are competing for time, for attention, right? And the challenge is not choosing between, well, this is something good and this is something bad. The, the challenge is, is choosing what's best over the better. And Martha is anxious and troubled over things of little consequence, and she's missing that which is of greater consequence, taking time to listen and learn from Jesus as a disciple. And he says, this will not be taken away from Mary. And the point was, uh, you know, the formalities of a relationship with Jesus, things like serving him dinner and meeting with him on a social setting, these can't take place over actually being in relationship with him. Can't take place over being in relationship with him. And he says, a relationship with me, with, uh, me cannot be taken away. This will not be taken away from her. But the other side of that is, but neither is it automatic. You know, a relationship is only as good as the time that you invest into it and the energy that you invest into it. And the point of the text is not to ignore all other duties to sit at Jesus' feet, but it is to recognize that sitting at Jesus' feet is the first of all duties as a disciple. That we might listen from him, uh, to him and learn from him, that we might know what he would have us to do for him and, and with him. right? Because the goal is to do with him, not just for him. Now, J.R. Edwards writes, and, and he kind of pulls in the context uh, to the larger uh, text as a whole, and he writes, and I quote, uh, Finally, and most importantly, in announcing that only one thing is needful, Jesus has subtly but de deliberately placed himself above Torah. Now, Torah, think uh, Old Testament instruction, right? Uh, think, so think of the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus has placed himself above Torah. Because the one thing needful in the Jewish synagogue, by all accounts, was study of Torah. Jesus does not direct Martha or readers to Torah, but to himself. In so doing, he has given a definitive and final answer to the question of the lawyer. 
and verses 25 and 26. Now, I know you guys all remember the question of the lawyer because we just talked about that last week, and you hang on every word that I say and every word that I teach, and you commit it all to memory, right? Well, maybe we better go back and revisit what that question was. And behold, the lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, he's saying, What's written in Torah? And what Jesus is subtly doing in this text is he's saying it's not in fulfilling the greatest commandments, whether love of God or love of neighbor, right, which was the answer that was given. It's not in fulfilling these commandments that eternal life was inherited. you know why? Because none of us can do it perfectly. But he goes on, he says, but it's in sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing his word. Because ultimately, eternal life is inherited through a relationship with him. A relationship to him that then shapes our relationship to God and our relationships to others. Because discipleship is not about how we fit Jesus into our lives, but how we might center our lives around Jesus, which begins with sitting at his feet. Amen. In your bulletins, you have a communication card, and we invite you to think about how God might be speaking to your heart this morning, uh, that you might uh, listen and learn to whatever it is that he would have for you to learn. Uh, as we prepare ourselves for uh, communion and stewardship, uh, in the message I commented that this passage is not really about where we end, but where we begin, right? We begin by sitting at his feet. We don't begin with what we do for him, but with what he has done for us. Whatever we do must flow first from the relationship that we have, or it will have the potential to distract us and draw us away from that which is of greatest importance, and that is our relationship to Jesus himself. It is only through faith in him and what he has done for us that we can inherit eternal life. So may we not only open our homes, but open our hearts. Not get so busy doing for that we fail to have time to sit with. And not be drawn away and distracted by all the worldly pleasures that we fail to enjoy his spiritual feast. And the life that results from taking time to sit at his feet and to receive what he has to offer to us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Now, once we have sat at his feet, once we have heard the word of God from the Son of God, then it's time to do the work of God with the help of God. Do you guys all follow that? So may we begin with worship. But worship isn't where we end, is it? Rather, that worship should extend into our work as we go forth to serve him through our next steps in our stewardship and response to what he's taught us and how we've grown to know him. So I want to remind you that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. O gracious and loving Father, as we come to this time, certainly we need to begin not with what we do for you, but with what you have done for us. And as we reflect upon what you have done for us, Lord, may our devotion for you grow. May our worship and our praise of you grow. That as our fellowship with you is strengthened and as our worship and devotion 
are increased, that we might simply be led to do out of gratitude and out of thanksgiving for who you are and all that you've done. So as we come to this table, Lord, may we truly sit at your feet. May we listen to you and learn from you so that we might go forth to serve you as you would see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We invite you to remember what he has done for you so that you might reflect on how you respond to him. You know, I have been to many family gatherings. I, I have a very large extended family um, where we have, you know, you look forward to getting together with folks that you don't see very often. And then you come away from that meeting together and, and you realize, I really didn't get to talk to that many people because there were just so many people there. And you don't have that fellowship. And I think sometimes even in doing the good, even in talking with some, we miss out on on other good. And so it just, turning our focus to him, I hope this is coming across clear because it made sense in my head. <laughs> turning our focus on him allows us to really 
have all that good. So we, we are focused on him, but also in doing the work that he has set before us. So we get the best of both parts. With that said, we want to make that communion with our Lord of utmost importance. So I wanted to close today with Mighty Jesus. Would you please stand and join us as we sing?
it may not be uh, fully true to say, but at least on this one occasion, right, the Lord has Martha's hands, but he has Mary's heart, which is the better part. Because you can give your hands without your heart, but you can't give your heart without him also receiving your hands. And if he has your heart, then he has everything else that comes along with it. So go forth to sit at his feet, take time to listen and to learn from him, that he may lead you in what to do for him and with him, because he has your heart. Amen.